0: Join me in First Samuel twenty seven. If you're not there already, First Samuel twenty seven. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father we do pray that you would help us to take heart, to walk by faith and not by sight, to stand firm in all that is ours in Jesus Christ, these so precious and very great promises that you have given us, that we would not waver in the faith, regardless of what circumstances tell us, regardless of what we can see, regardless of what makes sense to us, that we would cling to your word to your promises, to light our path, that we would stand firm. Lord, even through this passage, challenge us. Point out our weaknesses where we so often and easily fall astray. Call us back to yourself. That you may be honored in all that we say and do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as many of you are aware, on Sunday nights, it's a little bit more kid-focused. I have our kids' notes that uh, we pass out to our kids uh, each night. It's available in the back. And uh, so with that said, have you guys ever done the cheer where your hands go up and you put on your roller coaster thing and you go up the roller coaster and you put your hands up and you go, and you fall? I'm not going to make you do that. I thought about it. I thought about it. I thought about it because our kids would love it, but uh, we're not going to do that. But it is kind of a a picture of, if you've ever ridden a roller coaster, right, it very much does jerk you from side to side and from up and down. This past summer, we had the uh, uh, opportunity to go to Adventureland with the kids. A family from Grandview had some free passes, and we were able to go with them, and we'd been before, but those times, our kids had been too little to be able to ride the bigger rides, but this time, Clinton and Judah specifically were big enough to ride pretty much every ride in the park, and they wanted to ride every ride in the park. And I'll tell you, I was a little scared on some of them. I mean, that big green one, it goes up. I mean, it's straight down, and then, I mean, it is side to side and up and down, and I was dizzy by the end of the day. And I start that way because as we work our way through the life of David, sometimes it can feel like that, can it not? As you look at David's life, there's so many highs where you are amazed at his faith as he stands solidly in the promises of God. And the very next chapter, I mean, he is straight down in the depths. Or from side to side. I mean, reading the life of David can give you whiplash. And we laugh, but the reality is, is that not our own lives as well? In fact, that's one of the things that's one of the things that stands out about the Bible is the fact that that our heroes of the faith in here, we're not just told their strengths. We're not just told the great things that they have done and they're accomplished. We we see also their weaknesses. Because it's not about them, correct? It's about the God who is behind them, who is leading them, who is working. As we turn our attention to 1 Samuel 27, we see one of those drastic shifts, almost whiplash in nature. And as we work our way through this, we'll see David's irrational fear, David's necessary lie, for those of you who weren't looking, there was quotation marks there, and David's predictable predicament and uh, here's this slide i forgot to put this up for the kids who need it uh, sermon titled driven by fear first samuel 27, 1 to 28:2 big idea fear the lord not man fear the lord not man and as our kids are getting that written down before we uh, as we're jumping into our first point the first point is this david's irrational fear david's irrational fear See, the first four verses starts out this way. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish somehow by the hand of Saul. Notice the first word of this chapter is, And. It's really connected right to the earlier chapter, chapter 26, and it's transitioning right into this. And it's almost shocking in nature. Because as we look at David's irrational fear, it starts with a strong faith, as we see in chapter 26. In fact, look at verses 22 and following. David answered. You might remember this story as we saw last week. As David uh, has snuck into the camp, he's taken Saul's spear that was right by his head in the water jug, and he's called out to Saul, and and Saul recognizes David, and and he says uh, that, that you are more righteous than I am. Basically, I have sinned. I am sorry. And so David here answers Saul, and he says, David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness. And his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. It's a powerful, bold statement. Even as David stands there before Saul and his army, he proclaims, I am trusting in the Lord. The chapter goes on to end. Saul said to David, "May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail." So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. And and David said in his heart, "Now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul." Note the difference there between what David says with his mouth and what David says with his heart. With his mouth, David proclaims, the Lord will deliver me out of all tribulation. And yet even as he stands there and boldly proclaims that and turns and walks away in his heart, he says, I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. How could someone speak so boldly and yet Show so little faith for real. I doubt David would have confessed out loud what his heart says here in verse 1. And yet he's controlled by it nonetheless. Brothers and sisters, don't just watch your mouth, guard your heart. It doesn't matter what David's mouth says. His mouth can talk of faith all day long, but his heart is full of fear. And it's that fear that is driving him. It is true that David had no reason to trust Saul. He has seen that over and over and over again. He has no reason to trust Saul, and yet it's also true that he has every reason to trust God. And yet he chooses the fear of man over the fear of God. I mean, how does this man, how does David fall so far from his great faith displayed in 1 Samuel 26, going back even to 1 Samuel 24, to the depth of fear and depression that we see here that leads him to run? I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's hopelessness in that. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Pause and think about it. There is nothing better. There is no other options. This man who has just proclaimed, God will protect me. This man who has a promise by God who's been anointed king. And yet his irrational fear leads to an irrational solution. I shall escape to the land of the Philistines. The great enemy of God's people. The one whom he had slain their champion. And note also, remember that this is not the first time that David has tried this. Back in chapters 21, 22, in that area, David tried this very same thing. As he runs from Saul, and he runs to the Philistines, and you'll remember, he he runs actually to the very same place, to Gath. To the very same king, Achish. In that time, as David runs, he, he pretends to be mad. You remember that story? He gets there, and he finds that there's more problems, so he leaves again, pretending to be mad. And you remember in 1 Samuel 22, 5, the Lord tells David to go back and to stay in Judah, and he obeys right away. And yet here, just five chapters later, we find David running away again, even though the Lord has told him to stay in Judah. David here takes things into his own hands. He flees, more afraid of Saul than he is of the Lord. He arose, he went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. As already mentioned, this is not the first time that David has fled to Achish and Gath, as we see in 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 to 15. The first time David fled, he was alone, he was afraid. This time, David brings with him 600 men and their families This is a large number of people. He comes powerfully. And you note that in how he's received. Not only does he come to Achish with this army that's with him, with these families, this large amount of people, but but now it is clear that Saul is chasing him, that Saul hates him. That news is spread all around. So Achish accepts him with open arms. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So he accepts him. He was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. A.W. Pink Pink has a, um, a great biography of David. In there he says this, under the pressure of trials, relief is what the flesh most desires. And unless the mind be stayed upon God, there is grave danger of seeking to take things into our own hands. That is exactly what we see here. It is relief that David desires. And with his mind not stayed on God, he runs after relief. He takes things into his own hands. And as I mentioned before, David's weakness here is a reminder of our own weakness. Our own tendencies to fear man rather than to fear the Lord. Like David, it is so easy for us to stand up and say, The Lord will protect me. I believe the Lord. As we gather here, as we confess these things in song, it's so easy for us to say that. And then we walk out these doors and life slaps us in the face. And we who so boldly proclaimed the truth, our hearts are full of fear. And we so often react irrationally like David. Brothers and sisters, learn from David's mistakes so that you don't make it. Guard not just your mouth, guard your heart. Just, just a few weeks ago, last week, we were in, looking at the armor of God. Putting that on, clinging to those promises that when the devil flings his lies and accusations at us, they bounce right off because we have the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. We are clinging to these promises. Learn here from David's irrational fear a fear that makes no sense in the circumstances, a fear that makes no sense. In the face of the promises that God has given to him. And yet a fear that controls his heart. The next thing you see is David's necessary lie. And I put necessary there in quotation marks. Because this lie is necessary for David to keep taking things into his own hands. In fact, one of the truths that you'll see as we work our way through this is how one compromise often leads to another. One sin often leads to another. That's exactly what we see here. As as David, who's controlled by fear, who runs away from what God has called him to, now is forced to lie in order to keep himself safe from another enemy. David runs to Achish. If I have now found favor in your eyes, Let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. In reality, Ziklag was one of the original towns given to the children of Israel, but they never took possession of it under Joshua. Um, They should have, but here the Philistines have possession of it. David wants as he comes into uh, the capital city where uh, Akish is, the royal city, David has, has fled from Saul, but now he finds himself under another leader. He still needs relief. His plan is to get out of town and get another town uh, away from uh, Akish, somewhere where he can have a little bit of freedom to, to, to do his own thing, where he's not right under him. He's free of Saul. and He wants to be, have some distance from Achish as well. Achish, again, thrilled to have David, and yet likely not able to keep all 600-plus families in the, his town itself, in Gath. Happily able to take advantage of David's army, sends him away and gives him this town, Ziklag. And notice how David used it. David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old. As you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. These again are those who should have been driven out generations ago as Joshua and the people took the land God had given them. Yet they're still in the land. They're still plaguing the people still raiding and causing problems. So David now finds himself in a situation caught between these two, his identity as an Israelite and his now living under the authority of Achish. And what you see here in this passage is this lie that David constructs. David takes his army and fights Israel's army Israel's enemies along the southern border he brings the spoils back he gives it to Achish and he says look i'm raiding on the southern border of Judah is that the truth partly he is raiding the southern area of Judah but is he raiding israelites no no, he's raiding their enemies. He purposely misleads Akish, making him think even as Akish goes on to say in verse 12, Akish believed uh, David saying, "He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him; therefore he will be my servant forever." Akish thinks he has now this great warrior, he's he's his people will never take him back. He's been raiding them, he's been attacking them, he's been wiping out their towns. And all the while, David is attacking these other towns, these enemies of Israel, wiping them out. He's building favor with those in southern Israel, while at the same time, building favor with Achish by making him think that he's attacking Israel. Making Achish think that that David is fully bought into the Philistine way of life. And brothers and sisters, this is nothing less than a lie. This has the sole purpose of deceit. This is not morally excusable. Now, you could look at this passage, you could say, well, David's plan worked. He got away from Saul, and he's still helping Israel. But at what cost? Don't measure the righteousness of a course of conduct by its success. Or to phrase it another way, the ends do not justify the means. In fact, we'll see as we get into chapter 28 that David now, because of this, will find himself in a very prickly situation, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Another thing Pink notes in his biography is this, to judge by visible results is walking by sight. To measure everything by holy writs and to reject all that is out of harmony therewith, that is walking by faith. See, by, by sight, we would look at this and we would say, David is successful. And yet in reality, he is compromised. In reality, he is, he is justifying his, his deeds that are driving him further into sin from fear now to lying. And as we get to chapter 28, we see in the first two verses a predictable predicament. David has built up these lies around him, and and soon, soon he's going to have to answer for them. Verse 1, now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war, to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. You see, now the very thing that David feared, now it's being called on. Now the Philistines are going to war with Israel. And now David can't trick Achish anymore. Achish says, you are going to war with me against Israel. And notice again David's deception. David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. You've seen evidence of how great my army is. There's not really an answer there, right? He doesn't say, yeah, we'll go with you, or no, I can't do that. He just kind of leaves it up in the air, like, yeah, we're, we're good fighters. you said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. <laughs> Again, this is kind of backfiring on David here. He kind of left it up in the air. And now Akish thinks, yeah, you're right, you are. In fact, I want you right by my side. I want you to be my guardian. In fact, this is where we stop for the evening. The story jumps uh, back to Saul, and then we'll, we'll go on here, and we'll see what happens down the road. But I'll tell you this, David does not get out of this on his own. He gets out of this by the Lord's direction and intervention alone. But notice the progression. How one compromise leads to another to another to another to a to a sticky situation now. The ends do not justify the means. Another thing to notice in this chapters. Notice that God is not mentioned. God is not mentioned and David is acting here as if God is not there. Not once are we told that David seeks the Lord, that David pauses and prays or reaches out to the Lord in any way. Every indication in this chapter is that David is simply doing what seems to be best to him. But brothers and sisters, do not be deceived just because God is not mentioned and just because David acts as if God is not there, he is there. Even when you don't see him or feel him, he is there and he is at work. And we'll see that as we go on into 1 Samuel 28 and 29 and following. The Lord is there. He sees every compromise that David makes. He's not limited by David's mistakes. His promises still stand and he will fulfill them. But just because you don't see the Lord, don't act like He's not there. He is there. He sees and He knows. A couple of points of application as we come to the end of this passage. Number one, note how easily fear and the fruit of fear, something like depression, can take hold of a heart, how quickly, how prone we are to fall into the sin of fear. As I mentioned already, David had every reason to trust the Lord. Every reason. He had told him to go to Judah, he had promised him he would be king. He had delivered him so many times. David had just walked into the middle of an army and walked out. God had shown himself faithful over and over and over and over again, and yet David lets his feelings take control. So ask yourself, are you more controlled by the fear of man or by the fear of God? In fact, I want to read a passage from Hebrews. It goes right along this same line. Hebrews 13, 6. Actually, we'll start in verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. Brothers and sisters, are you controlled by fear? Fear of man? Fear of other things? Or are you controlled by the fear of God? Don't compromise. Don't give in. Guard your heart. Cling to the things that you know are true. Don't just speak of boldness. Don't just speak of faith and hope. Believe it in your heart. Cling to it in your heart. Be driven by faith and not by fear. Fear the Lord. Stand fast in the truth. And act in boldness and in wisdom. We're going to close this evening by singing that song that we sang earlier, Help My Unbelief, a very appropriate song to close a passage like this. I just want to read a couple of lines from this. The this song starts out, I can trust you when I see, see every step you've planned for me. That's easy, right? When, when I see what God is doing, when I see the direction that something is going, then it's easy to trust. But when wind and waves arise, fear awakens in my eyes. Why do I distrust and fear? You'll never disappear. Reach into the stormy sea, hear my cry and rescue me. I believe, yes, I believe. Help, O Lord, my unbelief. There's another line in the last verse. I know you are good to me when you send prosperity, but when peace gives way to pain and frustration, I complain. How could I find fault with you? You are always just and good. Grant me faith, not just relief. Help, oh help, my unbelief. Let's stand together and sing, help my unbelief.